Welcome to Mafliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake. And today we strip down our brooms as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban and come now to the 11th chapter, The Firebolt. Now, I don't know if I have uh, heard uh, Ron and Harry be more horrified when uh, Professor McGonagall uh, says uh, uh, that the the firebolt needs to be stripped down. I think that choice of language is very poor uh, on their half because, man, it's like this beautiful broom. And then someone just says stripped down. I can I understand, you know, this is like I don't know. I'm trying to think this is getting like a, a new Ferrari as a car mm. or something and then yeah. being like oh we just need to take it to the chop shop or something i don't know like just it's it sounds horrible well, and no offense to madam hooch but it's like having a ferrari and then being like we we need to get it stripped down by the local mechanic next door not take it to ferrari to do it yes yeah that is it's so true it's kind of like we'll look at it not like the manufacturer which is yeah. oh <laughs> man a, a slap to the face because it's like they just they're like you know, you think, oh, they have no respect for it. And and I do find this funny because I'm like, you know, when it, now it's not McGonagall specifically that looking over this broom, uh, but Professor Flitwick, uh, who you would imagine maybe would be like, well, I'll just I'll just keep it a bit longer until the you know yeah, some of right. these some of these games go through and Harry doesn't he, have this. He's awesome not broom. impartial. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably got probably Gryffindor's facing Ravenclaw upcoming, and he's like, "Oh, don't send it to the Firebolt Factory; they'll have it done in a week. Give it to myself and Madame Hooch." Yeah, and I'll do it in my spare time after all my classwork. <laughs> and you're like, oh, "Okay, I see, I see where your loyalties lie." Oh, Phileas, what a guy! <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, well, let's get into the chapter summary and see what happens this chapter. Unable to sleep after the news he heard at the Three Broomsticks, Harry lies awake and looks through his photo album from Hagrid and wonders why no one had told him that Sirius Black was his parents' betrayer. The Christmas holidays have begun, and most of the student body has left Hogwarts. After a late start, due to his late-night thinking, Harry finds Ron and Hermione and voices his desire for revenge. He recalls Draco's words to him earlier in the year, finally understanding his comment about hunting Black down. Ron and Hermione are unable to calm Harry, but a visit to Hagrid proves to be a distraction from Harry's brooding. In the gamekeeper's hut, Harry finds a letter clearing Hagrid of any wrongdoing in the Buckbeak incident, but the hippogriff must appear before the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. The trio promises to help Hagrid fight this injustice and resolve to work to find legal precedents to save Buckbeak. Another Christmas at Hogwarts begins with many presents for Ron and Harry. In addition to the usual gifts from the Weasleys and other friends, Harry receives a distinct-looking package. Inside, he finds a broom, but this is no clean sweep. Harry has received a firebolt for Christmas. Ron and Harry are ecstatic, but Hermione questions who could have possibly given such an extravagant present. Harry's inability to suggest a plausible sender raises Hermione's suspicions all the more. Christmas lunch is served in the Great Hall. Instead of house tables, there is one table with 12 places. Only three students join Harry, Ron, and Hermione, along with seven staff members. Everyone else has gone home for the holidays. Professor Trelawney's arrival at the table is an unusual one, and one that is not without drama. She immediately makes a prediction that because there are now 13 places at the table, the first person to rise will be first to die. Later, upon hearing that Lupin is unwell, she predicts a soon departure for the defense against the dark arts teacher. Ron and Harry leave the feast and return to the common room, but Hermione stays behind to talk to McGonagall. Soon after, she arrives with Hermione and asks to see the firebolt. 
She informs Harry that for his safety, the broom will be confiscated so that Madame Hooch and Professor Flitwick can test it to ensure there is no dark magic present. Despite Ron and Harry's protest, the broom is taken away, and Hermione tells them that she and McGonagall believe that it was Sirius Black who gave Harry the broom. This kind of puts the uh, the nail in the coffin, or at least for the time being, on their relationship. You know, Ron and mm. Harry's relationship with Hermione, uh, which is which is pretty clever because I feel like it really. You know, during this time, Hermione is working out that Lupin is a werewolf, right? If she hasn't Mm, worked it out kind of already. Uh, But I find that, you know, it's quite clever that if maybe everything was going right in their relationship and everybody was having fun and, you know, Scabbers and Crookshanks were uh, behaving themselves and Crookshanks wasn't trying to eat Scabbers and then, you know, Ron and Hermione's <laughs> relationship already already kind of damaged a bit. I feel like Hermione could have, you know, shared this information much earlier, but it, like just having these little things makes it so awesome that it kind of comes in at the right time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think the the other thing that's really interesting, and we can talk more about this later, is that I think for Harry and Ron, they had finally thought that Hermione's rule following to, you know, to such a degree was behind her as, as seen with, you know, her behavior over the, the first and then second years, but then also with her, um, her, her willingness to let them, uh, to let Harry have the Marauder's Map without telling anybody about that. But now after all of the progress she's made in their minds, she now rots them out with the, uh, the fireball yeah pretty savage eh? i feel like it you know you you read how they treat her and and you just think oh guys you know but you you understand in the in the way that it's mm. just like something that's so near and dear to harry and ron you know and this is this is their life and world right this is what they care about is like is quidditch and uh, for something like this to you know it's almost like a front to their friendship and hermione's yes. attacking that friendship yes. but she really is just trying to to keep them safe and uh I do love, I do love how this tr- like truth is hidden in plain sight, uh, you know, where it's like, you know, I think, I think the broom's from Sirius Black. And then you go mm. like, oh, wow, could it be from Sirius Black? And then when the broom comes back, you know, in, in later chapters and then, and it's all fine, you think, mm. oh, who could it be? Must not be Sirius yes. Black. Yes. Who, who else could it be? But the truth is just like written right there in the pages. And uh, I think later on, Hermione does say, well, guys, I, I was kind of right. It was Sirius Black, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. Like they, McGonagall and, and Hermione get the, the giver right, but they have the motive all wrong, right? They yes, think it's the an motive. attack on Harry um, when, when actually he's just kind of making up for how many years of missed yeah. Christmases? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is, uh, man, this this broom must be must be so much. Like the galleons for you know price tag for it must be. Yeah, huge. I don't think we I don't think we get a price anywhere, do we? No, I, I can't. hundreds no. of galleons. It's almost like yeah. now Ron and passing. I think it was Ron says it's 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 probably worth more than all the brooms of the Slytherins. And when you think the Slytherins have Nimbus two thousand, yeah, that's a good point. You yeah. think what even is this you know this must Mm. be like a phenomenal price tag you know just it's it's quite insane once again why is there no broom regulation for at least school age quidditch yeah yeah there's (laughs) some kind of you know standardized selection would probably be quite quite helpful uh means that you know the uh the the very generous godfather in prison sort of category of people don't uh, end up getting firebolts nor do uh you know a, a wonderful father 
and I say wonderful very loosely there, uh, give <laughs> his son and all his teammates, you know, the latest broom just out of, uh, out of, uh, you know, so-called love or, or whatever. It's like, yeah, right. You know, that's, that just, that puts a bit more of an unfair advantage for the Slytherin team, but they will, uh, they'll soon learn that, uh, that having the firebolt on uh, the Gryffindor team is a bit of a problem for them. Yeah. You, you, um, you do wonder that if uh, if Harry just had a Nimbus 2001, maybe things could have been a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean he's fantastic anyway as a seeker, so I'm sure you know he would uh, he would continue to to thrive, but uh, would feel sort of like I just want to know even just the cost of a, a Nimbus 2000 or a Nimbus 2001. You know, mm. like I'm like, what is that cost? Yeah. <laughs> Well, like the key thing for this chapter, it's a little hard to to summarize it into just one one word, like we often do, because this chapter starts out with with um, you know a bit of a bit of sadness, and then it moves to some hope when the firebolt arrives, and then finishes with a, a, another kind of reversal. And so uh, I've titled the key theme "Loss" uh, because in this chapter, although we don't see you know what's what's taken place with the th- three broomsticks that happens in the previous chapter, Harry is still dealing with this kind of sadness that, that comes from being left out of all this information. And, and he really does feel the loss of his parents afresh because they were betrayed by such a good friend. Um, Hagrid doesn't experience the loss of Buckbeak, but he certainly is feeling that that is imminent and there's nothing he can do to stop it. Yeah. And then finally, the great present, which is given in this chapter is taken away and Harry experiences that loss as well. It's kind of a sad chapter, really. Mm, like it, yeah. it really just goes uh, sort of downhill for a couple of the, a few of the characters really. And it's pretty much a bummer. It's kind of a very low point for a lot of, a lot of our main characters and, uh, you know, really can only go up from here. Although kind of gets, it gets worse for Hagrid, I guess, when Buckbeak is yeah. condemned. And so yeah. kind of, it gets even worse for him, but uh, at least Harry and Ron uh, get that broom back. Ron's able to fly it. So, uh, so it's good for them. <laughs> Hagrid, this whole situation with Hagrid, I think that's a bit of a focus for this chapter, you know, that mm. making sure that, uh, you know, that the reader knows that, okay, the trio are going to help Hagrid, you know, because that mm-hmm. further puts a little bit of strain on on uh, the trio and, and Hagrid's relationship. When when Ron and Harry just completely forget that they're meant to be helping Hagrid and Hermione is adding that to her already mm. yes. uh, immensely yes. heavy workload. Yeah, no, definitely. As we see all that's going on, it really does add just one extra layer to the divide between, between Hermione and, and the two mm. others because... You know, she's off doing this thing with Hagrid and and that kind of makes them forget it all the more, you know, and just, it just kind of compounds itself and makes it worse and worse that, you know, they're not helping um, Hagrid because it's not brought to their mind by the most thoughtful of their bunch and she's not receiving the help and therefore it just gets worse for everybody. Yeah. Now coming into character development, how do we see, I think, Harry progress in this chapter, Josh? Well, I think finally, and, and, you know, it's not like, it's unexpected for someone who's who's 13, but but we do see a little bit of maturity and growth in Harry that that for a time he's able to forget his his issues when he sees that Hagrid's issues are are more significant. Mm. He, he's able to actually care about someone else's issue. And and you just raised the point, which is so true, that that Ron and Harry sadly are gonna forget about Buckbeak <laughs> and the trial for most of the book. Yeah. But ha- Harry has been so singularly focused throughout his life 
up until this point at Hogwarts. And there's been nothing that that Hermione or Ron could do to kind of push him off course. But but for mm-hmm. the first time, he's able to actually say, you know what, hunting down Sirius Black is not my priority right now. I need to be a good friend to Hag- Hagrid and not have kind of ulterior motives to, yeah. co- to try and bring the conversation a different way. Yeah, it is really nice that he, uh, at least in this moment, kind of thinks, you know what? I know better. Like, I, I think this is a, going a bit too far if I then all of a sudden mm. start accusing Hagrid of not telling me bits of information. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, speaking of Hagrid, one of the things that we get in this chapter is Hagrid sharing a bit of his experience yeah. of Azkaban, which is which is great. It fits this uh, book, uh, and it's quite cool that we don't hear much about it in the previous two books, but this book, that which clearly has a big kind of theme of, of being Azkaban because that's where Sirius Black escapes from and we kind of learn more about this magical place. All of a sudden, Hagrid drops a couple things and just and says mm. that it's just the, the absolute worst. And it just makes me think, just makes me think, and, and I believe we have talked about this uh, on early episodes, probably uh, in the Chamber of Secrets, but the fact that there are no kind of levels or or sort of mm. stages of wizard imprisonment, like it's not like there is a prison somewhere for people who have been, I don't know, accused of some sort of, you know, I feel like what Hagrid's convicted of is like, they don't have enough evidence against him. And so it's almost like it's more like holding you know, like mm. they just, and and yet he goes to Azkaban. And I just think it's so brutal that there's like a place where it seems like even people like Hagrid go where they, they haven't been almost fully convicted and it's more of a precaution, you know? So it just makes me think, is there even a level where there's just like a wizard guarded prison or is it just straight to Azkaban no matter what you do, you know, just for, and I just think that would be absolutely horrible. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, you know, in this chapter, both with uh, Hagrid and, and also Sirius mentioned in the previous chapter, we, we really do see the the lack of justice and the lack of diligence that goes on from the Ministry of Magic. People are kind of just chucked in prison and questions are asked later. You know, it's it's really is not a great so system. And and I think, you know, while while Azkaban seems like a safe place for the worst of Death Eaters, I totally agree that um, that there's a lot lacking in this justice system. And for someone like Hagrid to be able to go to Azkaban because they weren't able to prove anyone else was guilty is just shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you, you almost just think, you know, and maybe we, we look at it, it with political leaders and the leaders of our countries, you know, whether that be New Zealand, Canada, America, wherever you're from, you know, and you see the failings that happen maybe in their sort of time in office. And you just think of Cornelius Fudge's one. And you just think, is this just something that, you know, will be a stain on his term? You know, obviously there'll, there'll be more stains when it comes to not realizing that Voldemort's back. You know, that's a pretty big one that might overshadow everything else but like even just like some of the stuff where you think yeah during that you know his period in in office or whatever the uh you know the convictions went up for uh mm. you know really just no no basis whatsoever there's no you know factual reasons why at least at the time of kind of conviction and being sent to azkaban which yeah that whole idea of kind of you know let's send them to azkaban now and ask questions later like that's that just seems <laughs> It seems really dumb. Like it seems like you could, there's, there's probably ways to be able to like go through the proper, you know, they've got the magical systems of law and court and, uh, you know, the wizarding gam- gamot or whatever it is. And, and uh, they're able to like 
get evidence out and challenge, but it's more just are the ministry, you know, are they willing to put in that time to do so? Yeah. And I think too, on a similar note, we do see that kind of thing really affecting the career of, um, of Barty Crouch, his refusal to, to really listen with any kind of nuance to the death eater cases um, mm. is, is partly to blame for all that goes on. You know, there were, there was no, no level of, of understanding, but really the, the, the policy was, you know, better that a bunch of people who are innocent get put in Azkaban than any death eater go free. You know? Yeah, and so as we as we see that that first item of of world building be so the ministry and justice seen through Hagrid's lens, we we also see in this chapter uh, a new broomstick introduced to us, and and this is the firebolt. Yeah, this is a broom like no other, and uh, it's really interesting reading J.K. Rowling's personal writing for this kind of the back kind of history of the firebolt, who created it, you know, and, and almost why, and and a little bit of the details, and and we'll link that in the um. The show notes there so you can read that article uh, but this is a broom that incorporates goblin steelwork like elements oh, i think probably should say ironwork from goblins and uh, this little paragraph that she writes is is quite funny the firebolt is a costly broom and harry potter was among the first to own one it continues to be made in relatively small quantities partly because the goblin workers involved in the patent ironwork are prone to strikes and walkouts at the smallest provocation uh, <laughs> And I just, I just love these little bit background bits of, uh, you know, information that uh, Rowling's created because I find that uh, they they do give you quite a, a bit of a laugh. And so, hence why the uh, firebolt is almost like made made to order, right? Is that mm, it takes yeah, ages? Yeah. It's, it's sort of a very custom broom. We, uh, you know, see I think from the start of the uh, the book when Harry's just ogling it in the in the uh, the Quidditch uh, broom shop. Um, mm. It's kind of like I think Ireland has, you know ordered seven for yes, their team, for their yeah. international world team. And so clearly this is that level of broom that is like, man, this is top of the top. You do not get anything better than this. So, you know, one company, the Nimbus clearly thought they, I think they were on the, the top of the market. And now all of a sudden, you know, the, the Firebolt team have just come in with this banger of a broom. And uh, I think, you know, it's pretty cool. And we mentioned it before that Harry gets this broom from Sirius Black and that sort of, that truth is hidden in plain sight when, when Hermione and, and, McGonagall are thinking the same thing that, oh yeah, I think uh, the uh, Sirius Black sent this to you to kind of knock you off your broom almost because uh, Harry's obviously already had problems with, with, uh, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why he's in this position of not having a broom. <laughs> yeah. That's so true actually, because it is, there's so much that happens to Harry on a broomstick. I mean, come on. It really give the, is. Give yeah. the guy a break. In the first couple books, especially every time there's a Quidditch chapter, you just think who's going to get injured. Yeah. That's so true. Cause you're like, well, first of all, safe bet. Harry Potter, easy, easy, safe <laughs> bet. But like, yeah, it is such a uh, a physical game, and you got to think when when Harry was falling off his broom because of the Dementors. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty thankful that uh, that Dumbledore was there to stop him as he mm. fell. Mm. Uh, you just, you know, you got to think like, is uh, is the referee that quick at noticing those things, or are there other people that are looking out for that type of thing, falling off your brooms yeah. and you know, getting <laughs> exactly. ready to well, have that spell used? Yeah, and and you and you got to think, you know, Harry obviously fell because he he fainted, right? It was yes. because of the Dementor. Yeah. But but you got to think, well, what if someone takes too quick of a turn and and falls off that way? Or like there there seems yeah. to be tons of ways that you could yeah. fall other than fainting. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys realize this, but a broomstick handle is kind of tiny. Uh, you know, yeah. it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty thin. This is no, you know, this is no fat seat. Uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. it's pretty small. So, yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like broomsticks can be pretty dangerous, and you think there'd be at least a couple of staff watches, you know, on the ground level that are ready with their wands, just kind of, you know, looking and gazing up because <laughs> you sort of don't want to go back to any parents saying, ah, your, your son sort of splattered on the ground or, you know, your daughter uh, flew off her broom and, and went into the stands and now she, uh, she's in a coma. You know, it's just like, there's got, to, there's got to be something like that going on in the background. Yeah. You got to think that there's, there's a couple of teachers too, who are like, Oh, You've got to be kidding. We've got to be on Quidditch duty again. Yeah. And I almost think that if Malfoy came off, there might be some teachers who just go, sorry, I, I accidentally didn't get to him in time. So, or, um, or I like, uh, I, I only slowed him a little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he still hit the ground hard enough to be put out in the hospital <laughs> wing. I love it. There's, there's some, there's some lovely passive aggressiveness from teachers going on there. That's, that's great. So moving into literary devices, and, and we've talked about this in previous chapters where things pop up about Lupin, our kind of our Lupin tracker, you know, this, this stage of what information do we get uh, about him, you know, being exposed as a werewolf. And uh, one of the things is that while Harry thought that Lupin was sick and everybody kind of thought Lupin was ill and, and in the hospital wing, he actually wasn't because that's when Ron was, I think, had his detention, cleaning out the mm. bedpans, which we uh, which we laughed about uh, during that chapter when, when he got kind of given that punishment but uh you know that's something that all of a sudden just that random bit of information being like well he you know ron saying well he wasn't in the hospital wing even though it's mm. like well if he's ill then then where is he you know yeah. and uh, we later learn that he's he's curled up in his office kind of going through that process of the the transformation so it's just a small little thing there but it's a wonderful little part to almost to sow a little bit of doubt in Lupin or just a little bit of mystery mm. without, without accusing him, without of kind of bringing too much attention upon him. It's kind of just like, I'm sure your mind can make up other excuses for him not being in the hospital wing. Yeah, he's not in the hospital wing, and and yet he is absent from from the feast, the Christmas feast, mm. and 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 while he's absent, we we also do get a bit of an insight into Dumbledore and uh, Snape's conversation about the about Lupin's uh, potion, and and that's kind of just a, a neat little insight there uh, of what could possibly be going on that that Snape is still making this potion, where we're almost now thinking, oh, is this a regular potion now? We 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 didn't have that before, and so yeah. um, you know, there's lots going on. Lots that we uh, don't know and, uh, and lots that we're still waiting to find out. Yeah, definitely. And uh, another aspect of literary device that we always talk about on the podcast, foreshadowing. Josh, what do we see in mm. foreshadowing? Yeah, well, this chapter, again, gives us a, a few things that are uh, seen throughout the books. Um, the, the two things that, that happen over and over again in this book and kind of to an increasing level are, are we see the, the Scabbers and Crookshanks relationship still being at each other. And while that will be a device to drive uh, Hermione and Ron apart, it is also something to pay attention to because of the reveal later that Crookshanks was suspicious of Scabbers from the beginning. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree. And, and the second one is, is this is the, the first chapter in quite some time where we see the sneakoscope go off. And, and again, it's, it's thought to be 
a faulty or a very inexpensive sneaker scope, mm. when in actuality, it's right every time. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I love the sneaker scope being quite a good use of foreshadowing because mm. it's right from the start. It's 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 sort of almost sewed into us uh, that it's this is a cheap thing. This is yes. something that yeah. like is one of those cheap toys that is almost just broken for you from the start and doesn't really you you know is you know it's a gimmicky that sort of thing. But this is actually something that's pretty accurate, and uh, I do like that about this uh, this use of this magical object and foreshadowing. Yeah, and then finally, uh, th- this is something we've talked about before with Professor Trelawney, um, and, and we've asked the question: Is she ever wrong? And and this chapter seems like she might be wrong because she she says that the the first person to rise will die first, in reference to thirteen people being at the table. But Blake, if Ooh, you yeah. if you say that. Scabbers, you know, is actually Peter Pettigrew in Animagus form and that there were 13 people at the table when Professor Trelawney came down. Do you know who the first person to rise is? Who? Professor Dumbledore, who is the first person to die. Oh, wow. I, Josh, I did not even think about that. Okay. Yeah. yeah so what, what, one, more, uh, one more feather in the cap for those who think that Trelawney is never wrong and maybe a greater seer than her, uh, her grandmother. If that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was just about to be like, Oh, well, she's wrong about this one. You know, maybe not so yeah, much about yeah. her teacher prediction with Lupin because, you know, maybe she's caught on that uh, the, the defense against the dark arts teachers always just leave. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah. that is, that is amazing because Scabbers would be in, in Ron's pocket and then, and then uh, Dumbledore sort of, uh, is that kind of when he gets up to draw up a chair? Exactly. And, he gets up to greet her and draw the oh, chair. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just there. I think, I think uh, I've been, I've been convinced <laughs> Trelawney, man. Wow. She's, uh, she's clearly got the gift. I think she needs a raise. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think she needs a raise too. Uh, I think she's uh, she's worth it. You know, maybe some of these prophecies aren't going to be made into those little prophecy orbs uh, yeah, in the yeah, uh, exactly. you know the hall of mysteries or whatever it is. But uh, you know, these 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 are clearly coming true. So uh, I love. I mean, I, love I mean, that. she she may have zero grasp on reality, zero grasp on what she's even predicting, but but she's good at predicting. Yeah, she is. She is. And uh, well, there you go. You know, I might even add that to significance uh, for this chapter is that uh, (laughs) Trelawney is right. You know, anything, anytime she says something loosely, like just pay attention because and and think about it critically because it might actually just, well, most likely will just be true. So uh, that's quite, that's quite cool. Uh, The other significant uh, moment or part of this chapter and the reason for this chapter is we see Harry gets the, given that firebolt, that's kind of, you know, the idea behind this chapter as as well as I think the significance of Hagrid's kind of misery, uh, but that yeah. firebolt really is that main significant part. Exactly. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're an Apple user, don't forget to leave a rating and review. Your support helps keep the magic alive. You can send us questions on our Instagram or email muffliadopodcast at gmail.com or use the form on our website www.muffliadopodcast.com. Continue the adventure. Join us next time as we discuss the 12th chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, The Patronus.